Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot going on in the world right now, and more of it than ever seems to be about business. How do workers benefit from the great resignation? Will TikTok change the music industry forever? I'm Nora Ali. And I'm Scott Rogowski. And we host Business Casual, a podcast from Morning Brew that dives into the unexpected business story behind everything. We're bringing you conversations with creators, thinkers, and innovators who can tell you what it all means and why you should care. Listen on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Growth League. I am Diana Kander, a Midwestern mom of two and keynote speaker on curiosity and innovation. And like you, I feel the call to grow. To get us inspired for the week, every Monday, I seek out the most remarkable women leaders and uncover their rule for growth. This week's rule from Sunaina Tudeja is recover with flair. This episode is brought to you by Influence & Co. To find out how Influence & Co. can help you create relevant content, get more leads, improve your website's SEO, and drive exposure for your brand, go to influenceandco.com slash growth. This March, in honor of Women's History Month, we're talking to women who were the first to do something big in their organization. Each of these women are trailblazers in their own right, And I wanted to spotlight them so that we can celebrate their wins, learn from their stories, and be inspired to get out there and achieve our own firsts. Next up in our series is Sunaina Tudeja. Sunaina is the first ever Chief Innovation Officer at the Federal Reserve Bank. Previously, she was the Global Head of Emerging Technology at TD Ameritrade, where she played a major role in building out their cryptocurrency strategy. Sunaina was also once a member of the Royal Canadian Air Cadets, and she still finds time every weekend to take to the skies in her Cessna, which her brother says is the coolest thing about her. Sunaina, welcome to the show. Thank you, Diana. Well, I have to know about this double life that you're leading as a pilot. So please tell me where in your life this began and how it came to you take to the skies every weekend now. Well, I am grateful for this opportunity to join you on this wonderful podcast, and I am especially delighted that we're starting off on a high note. Uh, So sorry, audience, after this, my coolness factor is going to plummet quite a bit. Um, So yeah, I have been obsessed with flying since I can remember, you know, just fell in love with the adventure and maybe a little bit of the romance of flying. And I always figured I was going to be a pilot and I was pretty darn serious about it too. I mean, my teenage dorm room posters were less about boy bands and more about Amelia Earhart. And (laughs) and then I joined and started to fly and try to get my basic license at age 14, 15. That's, you know, was the earliest you could start. And the joke in our family was I needed my parents to drive me to an airport because I couldn't drive yet. But once I got to the airport, you know, I could fly around in a single engine Cessna. So to this day, I am a way, way, way better pilot than, you know, I'm a driver. So So how did you go from teenage pilot to 
doing all of this work in innovation and tech, like, why are you not an airline pilot? You know, as things would pan out in life due to some, you know, health conditions, my dream and my aspiration of becoming a pilot were rendered undoable overnight. And I was 19 and I was like, oh, what am I going to do now? This is all I'm obsessed with. And it just so happened I had the opportunity to do a rotation at a Canadian bank. And at first I was like, mm, I'm, I don't even know what bankers do. What am I going to do in a bank? But I was like, okay, you know what? While I'm figuring it out, I'm going to you know, take this job, nothing to lose, and it pays for school. And I got lucky that you know, I ended up working for leaders and mentors who took me under their wing, pun intended, and actually helped me connect my love for flying and, you know, really be curious about what is it that you like about flying. And I vividly remember one of my early managers who's gone on to be a great friend saying, you know, everything you tell me about flying, Sedena, kind of sounds like risk management. You know, for example, when you're a pilot at any given time, you have to have a sense of two or three places you could land this plane if something happened. And at first I was like, what are you talking about? But, you know, I have to say he kind of Pulled me into that rabbit hole, which then led me through a decade of amazing experiences, as you alluded to, really leading change and transformation, always at this intersection, this nexus of finance and technology and policy. What I will say, Diana, is although I've had all kinds of really cool, interesting assignments, building new businesses here in North America and Asia, The undercurrent for me, the mission has always been, how do we truly create a big tent for every Main Street consumer and make financial services approachable and accessible? So, you know, that's kind of guided me to different assignments. Well, I'm already in awe of your parents who let a 14-year-old child get into an air, like would drive you to the airport and not protest. I'm just like envisioning my eight-year-old son asking to go fly an airplane. It just makes me very nervous to think about it. Is there anything else that your parents did early on that really helped shape your success later in life? That is such a kind question to ask, Diana. I mean, you know, I'm the daughter of first-generation immigrants, And I credit everything I am to the sacrifices they made. And as a kid, I was like a very shy, let's just say social anxiety was, you know, something that I struggled with. For whatever reason, my dad or my grandfather looked at that and said, well, okay, that's not going to help you survive in the real world. And I was introduced to Toastmasters, which is about helping people with public speaking at the age of 10. (laughs) When I reluctantly started going to Toastmasters and then was, let's just say, made to join a debate club, not because I wanted to. And the first many months and even years of this experience were legit excruciating. I was like, what am I doing here? Last thing I want is to be on stage or utter a word in front of an audience. But now I tell all of my friends and family who have little kids, like, put them into debate club as early as they will let you, you know, put your kids into it. Because far beyond the muscle memory of public speaking, the amount I learned about listening, articulating ideas. So I always tell people this is very much a learned skill for me. I wish it was natural. But again, going back to your question, in hindsight, 
uh, it didn't seem like a nice or a kind thing that my parents were doing for me. But I am so glad that, you know, because I learned so many skills through that adversity, that notion of, you know, recovery with flair, right? You're gonna, you're gonna screw up and that's okay. But how do you recover from it is what matters. I've never heard that term before. You said recovery with flair. Tell me more about that. I first heard it from a colleague of mine who was building and subsequently went on to lead a massive customer experience organization. And he always kind of made the point to say, mistakes are going to happen. When you have hundreds of thousands of employees engaging with millions and millions of customers every day, the notion that you're going to have zero screw ups is not achievable. Screw ups are going to happen. But what are we doing to make sure that our talent closest to the customers empowered to recover with flair? And frankly, I have been using that phrase even in the context of innovation work and change management work, because big part of innovation is you're going to try things that don't have a playbook, right? But as long as you have the agency and you're empowered and you have the right mental model that we will recover. We will figure it out. I just love that phrase so much. And I think about like I have a thing I like to say to myself when things don't go well, I'm going to do my best to try to leave whoever else is in the situation in a better place than when they came into contact with me. What do you say to yourself? How do you translate in your own personal life to what recover with flair means to you? Like what's the end product look like? You know, to me, recovery with flair in the context of my personal growth really is about A, be kind to yourself and be kind to others, right? We are all, as you said, doing the best that we can, and especially over the last two years. I mean, I really hope we're coming to the end of the simulation and whoever's been having fun playing this game can move on to something else. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, there's no accountability, but it's, I think it's all in the approach. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. My son asked me the other day, Mom, when am I going to be old enough to have some athletic greens? Because of the way his father and I talk about the product around the house. And I said, I don't know, son, but when that day comes, you're sure going to be thankful. With one delicious scoop of athletic greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. All of the things. AG1 is a small micro habit with huge benefits. It supports better sleep quality and recovery and supports mental clarity and alertness. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com growth. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash growth to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. A question I always ask my guests is, what's a strongly held belief that you have that would make for a fun dinner party debate? And the opinions always range from politics to parenting to work-life balance. And I think it's fun to be able to critically think through their hot takes because it always leaves me learning and expanding my own points of view. But in order to have a quality discussion around any topic, you have to be informed. One way that you can stay informed is by listening to The Economist Asks, a podcast from The Economist. 
Each week, host Anne McAvoy has in-depth and challenging conversations with influential guests to answer important questions that will help you prepare for the world around us. Guests from all walks of life, like Malala Yousafzai to Maggie Gyllenhaal to Melody Hobson. If you don't know who those women are and I didn't know who Melody Hobson was, it's a good idea to check out the show. So stay informed, join the conversation and subscribe to The Economist Asks podcast today. That's The Economist Asks podcast from our friends over at The Economist. Subscribe and listen for free today wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I feel like we've gotten these little snippets of stories that made Sunaina the little girl into Sunaina the professional that she is. I will tell you when I first read about you joining the Federal Reserve in this new position, I read your background as an expert in cryptocurrency. And then I saw the position you were taking as the chief innovation officer at the Federal Reserve. And it was like looking at one of those couples where the two people like don't go together at all, you know, and I'm just curious how you would explain this relationship and what you two saw in each other that made the relationship work. (laughs) I like the way you framed it. Um, I also want to be humble about the fact that I'm still figuring all of this out. And, you know, coming into the Fed, it was definitely not on my 2021 bingo card. In fact, when I was first approached about the assignment, I was pretty convinced that it was one of my Bitcoiner friends pulling some sort of a prank on me (laughs) (laughs) until I realized, oh, this is not a prank. This is a legit, you know, recruiter talking to me about a real job. And ultimately, what pulled me into this rabbit hole was curiosity, which has kind of been the through line of my entire career, you know, where people are like, hey, how did you find yourself at kind of the starting point of a lot of these transformations? And frankly, I wish there was a secret sauce to it. But upon reflecting, it really, Diana, and you know, you and I have talked about this notion of growth mindset and being curious and especially curious about things that seem weird or strange when you first hear about it. And instead of just being apathetic and walking away, it's saying, well, tell me more. I'm always curious about those moments where you have a really great plan going in and then you like you can't find the meeting room or whatever where you're supposed to talk to somebody about this great idea. So have there been moments like that where you like felt like you had it, you had a great plan and then something happened that really challenged how you thought about the role? Yeah, it may sound strange for me to name drop Mike Tyson, but I believe he, <laughs> I think it's it's his quote. We've covered everybody from Amelia Earhart to Mike Tyson. I mean, come on now. <laughs> um, I think it's his quote. Everyone's got a great plan until they get punched in the face, right? So yeah. I think that's really true, especially when you're building an uncharted territories, right? And I think maybe my one or two of the 10 plus roles I've had in my career were pre-existing jobs. Pretty much every other job, I was like the first one to have it. And believe you me, as somebody who found herself very early on talking about the virtue of AI and machine learning and financial services or crypto, you know, back in, you know, 2013, 2014, which let me tell you was not acceptable to talk about Bitcoin in traditional financial services as it might be today, there was a lot of boldness that was required. And sometimes that boldness was well received and people said, okay, tell us more. But a lot of times, like, you know, you're getting laughed out of the room or yelled out of the room. And I think that's where that optimism component is so critical. So my little Sinano formula is core, C-O-R, curiosity, optimism, and resiliency. Like, you know, a little formula that I'm like, you know what, if you have that, 
you will be able to overcome all of those anticipated moments of turbulence. And I think that optimism component is critical because you are going to fall flat or get punched in the face or those moments of splat, and that's okay. But it's this innate conviction and belief that the best is yet to come and that we have agency to help curate that future, whether it's the future of your team, the future of your business, the future of your product, or even the future of your institution. And then, you know, even after you get that hundredth no, kind of getting back up for the 101st time and still, you know, with the same level of conviction and confidence and enthusiasm, kind of saying, no, this is the problem we want to solve. And this is why we should solve it. And this is why the time is now. And this is how we would make it happen. That's been a bit of my approach. (laughs) Suffice to say, many, many, many splats along the way. (laughs) I feel like you have more advice to give, which is, you know, how to innovate and create change without getting fired, which is uh, one of my goals to figure out, you know, to share to the people listening on the show and for my own self, like, what do you think is that secret sauce of being able to impact change, but within the structural framework without people thinking like, oh my God, we can't have this much risk. I actually had a friend say this to me a couple of years ago, actually, you know, 360 review. He said something around, you have this combo of being a happy warrior. You're adamantly optimistic about the future yet you're pragmatic in your approach of making it happen. Now, I don't know if I actually do that all the time, right? But that always stuck with me. And I think to your question about where, whatever your span of control, you know, even if your title doesn't have innovation and transformation, guess what? We are all innovators. And that was one of my big things, even coming at the Fed to say, Innovation doesn't start and stop with a chief innovation officer. Anybody in any role, whether you're a leader, manager, individual contributor, we all have a role to play in terms of advancing innovation within our span of control, right? So I think that's why that balance of be curious and let curiosity almost be your superpower, but then that healthy sense of optimism that's balanced with, I guess, a dollop of resiliency and pragmatism. <laughs> oh, I couldn't agree more. If only to say maybe you need a healthy a healthy dollop, maybe more than a dollop of the resiliency if, if it's innovation work that you're after. Triple scoop on the resiliency, <laughs> please. <laughs> okay, so Nana, time for the speed round. Okay. If you wrote a professional development book on any subject, what would it be? I think I would write a book on the formula that we kind of just came up together on this podcast around, you know, curiosity, optimism, and three scoops of resilience. Uh, (laughs) And I'm sure I would weave that into my obsession that is flying to illustrate my nuggets around professional development. (laughs) And what do you think that formula helps somebody accomplish? Like, what problem does that tool help you solve? Being a change leader. And I would submit that everybody, regardless of your job, today is a change leader. Biggest oops of your career, a time when you messed up, you fell down, whatever it might be, and what you took from it. Oh, my very first people management assignment. I was in my early 20s. Trust me, I had no business leading a big team that I somehow got because anyways, it was one of those turnaround assignments that nobody probably wanted uh, because it was high risk. And I said, I'll do it. And then I got a team. And again, I think partly my insecurity that 
because I had like a strong imposter syndrome coming into going, why am I doing this job? Like, I don't think I'm ready for it. Combined with my lack of experience as a people leader. Let's just say all the things you're not supposed to do as a people leader, I probably did in my first six months. It was one of the most turbulent times in my career, but I it was one of the times in my career that I grew the most. It was not fun, the six months, but when I figured it out and got help from mentors and executive coaches and learned what it was actually to be a leader and not what I thought it was to be a leader, it was one of those massive inflection points in my personal and professional growth. Did somebody come to you and tell you you were doing a terrible job or how did you know? Oh, yeah. Pretty much like, you know, the team I inherited was like ready to launch a mutiny against me. (laughs) (laughs) I once wanted to write a book called 100 Ways Not to Fire Somebody, just from personal (laughs) experience. (laughs) And it sounds like you could do the complimentary set, which is like 100 Ways Not to Lead Somebody. Oh, yes. But hey, recover with flair. I learned a lot. A lot of those folks went on to work with me and for me in assignments after that experience, and many that I still call friends to this day. So... Okay, well, I have to know how you recovered with Flair. Did you apologize to them? Did you say like, hey, I I hear you? Like, how did you get them back? It was obviously a process. But I think the first thing was, yes, I think for the first time in my life, in my career, again, you know, your early 20s, you're in like, you know, this investment banking, high finance type job where vulnerability is probably not a phrase that is encouraged or was encouraged, right? So for the first time, I had to like break down and said, I'm sorry, I don't know what I'm doing. I took on this job <laughs> and I, you know, and, and again, this was a room full of folks who had massively more experience than I did, but I wasn't leaning into their experience, right? So yeah, I think it started with a place of vulnerability combined with a lot of humility. Oh my, like I got like 10 scoops of humility every day, so, you know, <laughs> and, but I think being open to that um, and I, I think, that, Diana, it was also an inflection point for me for the first time in my career to almost like giving myself permission to say, hey, you know what? My diversity, both in my hardware and in my software, is not a liability. It's actually my superpower. It's my asset. And why am I not leaning into the things that I see differently or the different perspectives and experiences and ideas I bring to the table? So, um, yeah. Amen. What, I mean, related to that, what is something that you strongly believed in your 20s that you feel completely indifferent about or even opposite about now? Oh, uh, I'm going to phrase this quote I saw on Reddit many, many years ago. Yeah, I get all my wisdom from Twitter and Reddit, so take it for what it is. It went something along the lines of, in our 20s, we spend so much time worrying about what people think about us. In your 40s, you start to like not care what people think about you. In your 60s, you realize, oh, wait, they were never thinking about you to begin with. <laughs> so, you know, so to me, yeah, I think in my late 20s and going to early 30s, I kind of had that, you know what? Like, A, they're not really thinking about me. I am obsessing about them thinking about me when they're not even thinking about me. And second, I think, again, becoming more and more comfortable in my skin and saying, play to your diversities, play your strengths, play to your, you know, differentiations in a, in a value-added way, of course. Okay, let's uh, round it up. It sounds like a really good rule for this episode is to recover with flair. It's my favorite new phrase of the week. So, Nana, do you have any last words about that rule? I, I would say, you know, again, in our personal and professional lives, we've all endured and we will continue to endure a good deal of turbulence. 
that's what makes this a fun adventure in some ways. I think the recognition and almost giving ourselves permission that, you know, perpetual beta is okay. Gone are the days of a hard full stop. Now everything is a dot, dot, dot. And I think if you start to, you know, deploy that mental model, then you start to give yourselves permission to say, yeah, things are going to go sideways, especially if we're doing things that have never been done, right? As long as we're kind to ourselves and we give ourselves permission to recover with flair and we learn and we grow. Beautiful. Sunaida, thank you so very much. This has been delightful. Thank you, Diana. I've never heard the phrase recover with flair, but I think I'm going to start using it all the time now. I just could not love it anymore. And as always, to dig deeper into our rule, before we close, I'm joined by Adesua Agbanile, one of our producers. Glad to be here as always. You know, I think the reason that most people don't recover with flair from their failures is because they either see them as completely like 100% a failure or 100% a success. And in reality, it's literally never the case that it's 100% in either direction. And so for me, once you realize that, you can say, okay, what are those bits and pieces that actually worked and what can I do with those? Something I think about a lot is it's not a failure if you learn something, then it's just a lesson. And I am someone who, if a failure happens or a mistake happens, I'll like freeze up and be like, this must mean that I'm not good at my job, or this must mean that I'm never going to get better at anything I ever do again. But I love the way you put it, where nothing is ever 100% a failure, right? Like, there's always something to be learned. There's always something you can take moving forward. And it also is very freeing, I think, when you allow for the fact that mistakes are going to happen. When you can say, like, failure is inevitable. So the question is, how do we recover best? With flair, with flair. And what I love so much about what you're saying a day away is that we're so quick to jump to like, oh, I meant to do this or I'm not meant to do that. And in reality, it's too soon to tell what you're meant to do. Like, give it another couple tries. I will say like, my biggest professional success came out of my biggest professional failure. Like that was the starting place for I had a business that didn't work out. And the journal that I kept when things weren't going right turned into my first book, which turned into a speaking career, which is like my happy place in the world now. And it never would have happened if not for the failure. Thank you again to Influence & Co. for sponsoring the show. If you're having trouble scaling your content marketing efforts to see results, I highly recommend having a strategy call with Influence & Co. It is one of the only agencies that I've found that will handle your on-site content needs and your PR. Just visit influenceandco.com growth to learn more about what they do and all the work that we've done together. And with promo code growth, our listeners can get access to their course for 50% off. That's it for this week's episode of The Growth League. Please make sure that you're subscribed to get all the future episodes and leave us a review on how you're liking the show. I'm Diana Kander, wishing you an amazing growth-filled week. The Growth League is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Edie Allard, Adesua Agbanile, and Taylor Williamson. Our executive producer is Jenny Kaplan, and our editor is Emily Rudder. <laughs>